0: Episode 284 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by cloud accounting software FreshBooks, giving you access to 100% of their features through a free 30-day trial. Find out more about it right now at freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section.
1: can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. We have no right to complain about how distracting the world is today when we haven't planned what we want to do with our time.
0: Hi, I'm Jeff Brown. want to welcome you to the Read to Lead podcast, a podcast going on about six and a half years now. I'm glad you're here. My belief is that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading has to be part of that equation. Uh, the Reach Lead podcast is going to not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you the key insights and main ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. We do that by interviewing authors of often recent books. In a moment, we'll sit down with author Nir, N-I-R, Ayal, E-Y-A-L. He's the author of the book Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. I plan to ask Nir to share about why he feels the ability to control your attention is the single most important skill you can have today we'll dig into the root causes of distraction uh, methods he recommends for avoiding distraction and interruptions at work and plenty more if this topic hits home with you i'd like to recommend a podcast that's all about productivity in fact it's one of the top productivity podcasts in itunes it's hosted by my friend jeff sanders and it's called the 5 a.m miracle He covers not only productivity, but early mornings and healthy habits and personal development as well. One recent episode in particular you may wanna check out and I'll link to it in the show notes is called Seven Keys to Your Most Productive Day Ever. Like me, Jeff has been doing his podcast consistently for six and a half years. Lots of great content there. You can find out more at (laughs) jeffsanders.com. Nir Ayal writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. The MIT Technology Review, dubbed Nir the prophet of habit-forming technology, he founded two tech companies since 2003 and has taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. Now, in addition to blogging at nirandfar.com, that's N-I-R-N-Far.com, Near's writing has been featured in the Harvard Business Review, TechCrunch and psychology today. He is the author of the best-selling book Hooked: How to Build Habit-Forming Products and the just released Indistractable: How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Well, near, I guess I could say we've waited far too long to have you on the <laughs> uh, the Read to Lead podcast. I'm sure that joke never gets old.
1: No, it doesn't. In fact, you know, I used to hear that joke as as a kid, and I liked it so much that I named my blog near and far for that exact same reason. (laughs) It never gets old. (laughs) Very,
0: very clever. I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, I I have to give a shout out first to my friend Jeff Sanders, who uh, has interviewed you. I don't know uh, if he's published that yet. But what I do know is Jeff did something I don't know that Jeff has ever done in the six years I've known him. And that's email me and say, you need to have this guy on your show. And so that's, that's the main reason we're talking is when Jeff speaks, people listen. And if he says you're a great guy, then you got to be a great guy.
1: Oh, man, now I have some high expectations <laughs> here, some big shoes to fill. <laughs> right.
0: Well, I, I want to start off by asking you, Nir, why you feel the ability to control your attention is the single most important skill you can have in the 21st
1: century. Yeah, I call becoming indistractable the skill of the century because it's a macro skill. If you have the power to do whatever it is that you say you're going to do, whatever is consistent with your values that you want to get done, I mean, imagine how different your life would be. Uh, we, we all know what we want to do, right? We all know that if you want to get in shape, you have to exercise and eat right. If you want to have good relationships with people, you have to be fully present with those you love. If you want to do a really great job at work, you have to do the the hard work, especially the stuff that other people don't want to do. The question is, why don't we do it? <laughs> uh, I don't think that there's a knowledge gap, right? We, we all basically know what we need to do. It's about why we don't actually execute. And the reason we don't execute is because distraction gets in the way. And so that's really what I, what I wanted to tackle, this question of how do we overcome distraction? How do we become the kind of people who live with personal integrity and do what they say they're going to do?
0: Well, I think if I asked the average person this this next question, they would certainly have uh, some ideas, but I'd, I'd love to get your take on this. Help us better understand some of the root causes of, of distraction.
1: Yeah. So the best place to start with this question of why don't we do what we say we're going to do, which, by the way is not a new problem. Uh, A lot of people think (laughs) distraction started with Facebook and the iPhone and nothing could be further from the truth. You know, uh, Plato talked about distraction 2,500 years ago. They called it akrasia, the tendency to do things against our better interests. Mm. So this is not a new problem. Humans have been struggling with distraction since the dawn of time. And and what has changed, however, are the tools that we use, that, that if it's distraction you seek, then certainly distraction you will find because technology is built to be persuasive and it has become Uh, more pervasive in our day-to-day lives. So it's easier than ever to become distracted. But that doesn't mean we're powerless. I do not subscribe to this narrative that tech is the the root cause. Tech is what we call the proximate cause. It's the tool that Mm. leads us towards distraction. The root cause of distraction is the root cause of why we do everything. That if you ask the average person, hey, what's the what's the source of human motivation? Why do we do what we do? You know, after a few minutes of thinking, most people will tell you it's some version of carrots and sticks, mm. right? It's about pain and pleasure. Uh, this is called Freud's pleasure principle, that everything we do is about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. But neurologically speaking, that is not true. Mm. That in fact, everything we do, we do for one reason only. And that reason is to escape discomfort. Even the pursuit of pleasurable sensations, that wanting, that craving, that desire. There's a reason we say love hurts because neurologically speaking, it is psychologically destabilizing to want something even if that desire is to feel good. So mm. everything we do, the br- the way the brain gets us to act is by making us feel some kind of uncomfortable state either physically or psychologically. So physically, You know, if you feel hunger pangs, you eat. Uh, When you're full, now you feel stuffed. Oh, that doesn't feel good. You stop eating. So those are physiological responses. Psychological responses, if you think about it, when we're um, lonely, we check Facebook. If we're uncertain, we Google. If we're bored, well, we check sports scores, stock prices, the news, Reddit, Pinterest, all of these things cater to this uncomfortable psychological itch of boredom. So what this means, if we agree that all human behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort. That means that time management is pain management. Mm. That it doesn't matter what kind of tips and tricks and life hacks that you might hear, fundamentally nothing is gonna work over the long term if you do not have the capability to cope with these internal triggers, these uncomfortable emotional states that draw us to distraction. So Mm. that's the first step.
0: This is, I think, where many writers, near would espouse mindfulness and uh, meditation tips and tricks, but not you, near. Why, why is that?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, one of the reasons is that uh, I, I, I don't like reading books that rehash things I've already read in other books. And so uh, I'm not anti-meditation. It's wonderful. There's a lot of great research that shows it works it just doesn't work for everyone. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I did it for a long time. It didn't particularly work for me. And again, not that it's bad. I don't want to get hate mail saying, you know, how, <laughs> how dare you uh, question this religion of, of that meditation solves problems. It does solve some people's problems, but it's not the solution for everything mm. or everyone. And it's been written about ad nauseum. I don't want another book telling me to meditate. I got it. Okay, it didn't <laughs> work for me. What else can I do? And so that's really what, what uh, Indistractable is about. Uh, what I delve into, is is i do touch on a bit of mindfulness specifically when it comes to the school of thought from acceptance and commitment therapy when it comes to reimagining our triggers right. so one of the things that we need to do is to accept that discomfort is perfectly normal mm. that a lot of us especially writers when we are distracted we beat ourselves up we say oh maybe I'm not cut out for this uh, maybe I'm lazy I'm easily distracted i have an addictive personality why can't I concentrate there must be something wrong with me. And that's not true. We, we call those people the shamers. They shame themselves. Then we have another group of people. We call them the blamers. They're the ones who blame the technology. You see, that's what's doing it to me. I was going to write. I was going to do that thing. But then this got in the way and that got in the way and the tech companies do this. And did you see what was happening on Twitter? It's all somebody else's fault. Those are the <laughs> blamers. And neither of these are, have the right answer. It's not the blamers. It's not the shamers. The right answer is that these are behaviors. And we can learn ways to change our behaviors to make sure that we can use these technologies to benefit us and, 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 let, and let us get the best out of them without letting them get the best of us.
0: Mm, To that, if you would, uh, speak to the importance of planning in helping avoid distraction, setting aside specific times in your schedule for, for what you
1: value. Absolutely. So the first step is to master the internal triggers. And there's many, many techniques on how to do that. The second step is to make time for traction. Hmm. So when I wrote this book, I talked to a, a lot of my friends who struggle with distraction. I kind of interviewed, you know, many people uh, for this book over the past five years of writing it. And I remember one friend told me that she was particularly distracted and she would complain about how, you know, the her her uh, husband wanted this and her kids wanted that and the hmm. boss wanted this. And did you see what was happening on Twitter? Did you hear what Donald Trump said? And all this stuff was going on on. And she just can't focus. She can't get anything done. She's constantly distracted. And so I said, wow, that's, that's really tough. You know, can, Mm. can I see what it was you got distracted from? Can I, can I see what you planned to do that you didn't get done? And she took out her calendar and she opened up her little, you know, calendar app on her phone and she showed it to me and it was blank. There was maybe a dentist appointment on her calendar. And so here's the thing. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Mm. We have no right to complain about how distracting the world is today when we haven't planned what we want to do with our time. So if you wanna know what distraction is, the best way to understand distraction is to understand the opposite of distraction. The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. Both come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull, and they both end in the same six letter word, A-C-T-I-O-N, spells action. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do in life, things that you do with intent. The opposite of traction is distraction, any action that pulls you away from what you do. So that means that you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So I'm not going to tell you what you should do with your time. You have to live according to your values, turn those values into time, no matter what your values are. If you want to spend time meditating, do it. If you want to spend time taking a walk, painting, being with your kids, writing, whatever it is that you want to do with your time, that's fine. That's not up to me to decide. That's up to you to decide. What I want to help you do is to accomplish whatever it is that's consistent with your values that you want to do with your time, but not keeping a calendar is a luxury that we can't afford anymore. Mm. That's it. We, we, we can, maybe we can do that when we retire. But if you have goals in your life, particularly professional goals, relationship goals, you have to put these values on your calendar, turn them into time, or you have no right to complain. Because if you don't plan your day in this day and age, somebody is going to plan it for you. Your boss, your kids, your spouse, what's happening in the news, Facebook, somebody's gonna eat up that white space if you don't decide here now how you want to spend your day. You're not going to get that writing time, that gym time, whatever it is that's important to you in your day if you don't plan for it in advance.
0: Preach. I feel like I'm at church. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Amen.
0: suppressing amens about every other word with that. <laughs> so yeah, we can watch Netflix. We can take a nap. We can sure. pick our nose as long as it's what
1: we plan to do, right? That's right. Do it on your <laughs> schedule. Don't do it on some tech company schedule. All right.
0: If you're a business owner or a solopreneur like me, there are distractions that we're dealing with every single day. And for me, something that's become less of a distraction than it used to be is the time that I spent on my company's finances. Now, that's an important thing to spend time on. But it used to take me far more of my time than I was comfortable with until I started incorporating FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software into my business. That was about 10 years ago. Before you completely disappear under the abyss of paperwork yet again, I encourage you to go check out FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software at freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Not only is FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software going to save you a ton of time and stress, It might actually change the way you feel about dealing with the money going into and out of your business. One of my favorite features is setting up fresh books to import expenses directly from your bank accounts, which means next time you use your debit card for that meal or a tank of gas or a new computer, the purchase is recorded instantly in freshbooks it can't get much easier than that they've got a free 30-day trial available to you right now as a listener to read to lead you get access to all of freshbooks features to check it out go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section one more time that's freshbooks.com slash read to lead well uh, what does it look like near as you say to uh, control the inputs not the outcomes
1: Yeah. So we, we, you know, one of the myths that I think is propagated in the productivity self-help type community is this idea that, that to-do lists take care of all our problems. That if you just put stuff on a to-do list, it'll magically get done. Hmm. And we know that's not true, (laughs) right? (laughs) I mean, I I used to, before I wrote this book, I would have this long to-do list and about 50% of it would just get recycled every Hmm. day, one day to the next, to the next. It would just get moved over every day. The reason this doesn't work, I call this the myth of the to-do list. The myth of the to-do list says that by putting stuff on, your to-do list, it'll magically get done. And of course, that's not true. That won't mm. happen because those are outputs, right? The outputs are the things we want to do with our time. But we oftentimes don't control all these those outputs. We can't, we, there's too many exogenous factors to, to what it takes to get those things done. The one thing we always control is the input. Mm. And our input is our time, particularly when it comes to writers. You know, you can't will a fantastic idea, right? A Pulitzer Prize-winning idea to come right now because I put it in my calendar. But you will <laughs> never get that idea. You will never do the work unless you put your butt in the chair and actually do the work. So I, I, I you know, many times, you know, I, I wrote about 250 pages for Indistractable. I wrote over a thousand pages that didn't make it in the book because they were they they were crap. They <laughs> they were later cut because so much. Many of the times that I would sit down at my desk to write, I, I nothing good would come out. Mm. But if I didn't make the time in my schedule to plan the input of the time, there would be no way for me to get the output
0: what are some methods you recommend for avoiding distraction and interruption specific to uh, the at work environment let's say
1: yeah so there, there's you know it's interesting a lot of folks think that uh, distraction just comes from our digital devices the <laughs> pings dings and rings we call these external triggers and that is true we do need to manage the uh, the, the, uh, the the notification settings on our phones and our computers and I, I do spend a couple chapters on that it, it's it's pretty easy stuff even though most people don't do it right two-thirds of people with a smartphone never Never change their notification settings. So that's that's easy stuff. Like we, we have no excuse to say the technology is addicting us and it's hijacking our brains if we haven't even taken a few minutes to change their no, those notification settings. And guess what? There's nothing that Mark Zuckerberg or Tim Cook can do to change them back once we've changed those <laughs> notification settings. But that's kindergarten stuff. That's That's basic logical stuff. Take a few minutes, change those notification settings. What we do find, however, is that there's a much more pernicious and frequent source of distraction when it comes to the workplace in the form of the open floor plan office. Mm. That in my research, I found that this was a constant source of distraction. You know, companies uh, across the board have moved to these open floor plan offices. You know, they say it's for creativity and encouraging uh, interpersonal relationships, etc. But it also saves companies a ton of money because they don't have to give everyone their own office. It does have some benefits to the bottom line, but it also comes at a pretty steep cost. And that cost is... Uh, distraction, that that working in an open floor plan office can be incredibly distracting. So, here's what I did. Everyone who buys a copy of Indistractable, inside the book, I made sure my publisher inserted a piece of cardstock that's bright red. You tear it out of the book, you fold it into thirds, and you put it on your computer monitor. And this is what I call a screen sign. Now, the screen sign says, I'm indistractable at the moment. Please come back later. Mm. And it's a way to signal to your colleagues that you are not to be disturbed at this moment Mm -hmm. in time. And that, is, that helps us hack back the external triggers. You know, we're not just hacking back our devices, but also hacking back these triggers of other people. Other people can be a source of distraction, of course. And so I know some people are thinking, well, I just put on headphones, and headphones tell people that that I'm, I'm not to be bothered. And that is true, right? Some people can find focus when they put on headphones. Here's the problem. Mm. When people see you wearing headphones in the office, they think you're watching YouTube. <laughs> and so you wanna be more explicit that, hey, you know, the, we're, this is about the culture in this company, that it's okay to carve out time in your day for focused work. That's where we do our best work.
0: Well, you didn't mention this next one, so I want to dig into it specifically because I think it's sort of a multi-tentacled monster on its own. Uh, Help us to better understand how to deal with email, one of the biggest time
1: sucks if ever there was one. Oh my goodness. So uh, email is uh, the mother of habit forming technology. It's the technology that we all seem to want to stop using, but can't. <laughs> and and part of the reason we, we use email so much is that it deploys this psychological principle that we call an intermittent reinforcement or a variable reward. Kind of like how when you pull on a slot machine, there's that uncertainty of whether you're going to win or not. And that's what keeps us engaged. Uh, and so variable rewards are at the heart of all sorts of highly engaging products and services. And when you think about email, what keeps us checking email so frequently is the uncertainty behind every email. What does the email say? Is it good news? Is it bad news? Is it urgent? Is it not urgent? What what's gonna be in it? And so that variability keeps us pecking and checking emails all day long. And this oftentimes comes at the expense of doing focused work and doing our best work. And so we we fill time when we're feeling bored, anxious, uncertain, stressed. We turn to email as this emotional pacification device to feel greater control back to these internal triggers we talked about earlier. So here's the, here's the way we start controlling email as opposed to letting email control us. So step one, we talked about mastering those internal triggers. Step two is about making time for traction. So I want you to put time in your day, in your calendar for checking email. Mm-hmm. But then there's another, this next step of hacking back the external triggers. So here is the, the most important thing that you need to look for every time you open an email. The only question you need to ask yourself when you open an email is this. From a time management perspective, the only question that matters is, when does this message need a reply? Because what we find is where we waste the most time on email is not the checking, mm. it's not the replying, it's the rechecking where we waste a ton of time. You know how this goes, right? You open an email, you read it, you put it away. You open the next email, you read it, you put it away. An hour later, you open the same email, open it, put it away. That's a huge waste of time, so every email We only touch twice. The first time we open it, we determine when it needs a reply and we use a label to label it as something that needs a reply today or this week. Just two labels. Of course, you know, if if an email is super urgent and your boss, you know, needs a reply right this minute, of course, you know, deal with that with your discretion. If it's something you can delete, delete it right away so you never have to touch it again. But if it's something that deserves a reply, it fits into two categories of today or this week. Now, that will reduce your, email, your daily email load dramatically. I mean, that, that should reduce about 80% of the emails that you need to reply to every day because you're only replying to the emails that, re, that deserve a response today. <laughs> and, be, and the reason this is so important is because you know, if you think about the mathematics behind email – If you want to get less email in any given period of time, you have to send fewer emails in a given period of time. So you only want to reply to the emails that are actually urgent, as opposed to what most people do, what I used to do, which is just replying, you know, catch when catch can, whenever I feel like it, I'll reply to this email, that email. And of course, we play this ping pong game. Every email you send is gonna get a reply back to you. So you only wanna reply to those urgent emails today based on that time in your time box calendar. And then once a week, So for me, it's I call it my message Mondays. I have a big old block of time of three and a half hours where I plow through all those emails that can wait a little bit. And here's the amazing thing. You would not believe how many emails become irrelevant when you give them a little time to breathe. (laughs) People figure out their own problems. The problem is crushed under the weight of some other problem. And most of these emails that you thought you would need to reply to, if you just give them a little time to marinate, turns out they don't even need a reply at all. And so, that's the methodology that, that I prescribe in the book.
0: Well, then the next section of the book gets into this, this idea of, of pre-commitments. Uh, can you yeah. talk a bit about using pre-commitments to reduce our likelihood of distraction?
1: Absolutely. So this is the fourth and final step of the Indistractable model. Using pre-commitments is about deciding in advance what you're going to do when distraction strikes. And so there's a few different type of pacts that we can use. And this is also an ancient technique. The the first recorded instance of someone using a pre-commitment is uh, Ulysses in the Odyssey. Uh, Ulysses has to sail his ship home, and he has to sail past the island of the Sirens. And the Sirens are these mythical creatures that sing this magical song, and any any sailor who hears it crashes his ship onto the shores of the island and dies. So Ulysses knows this is going to happen, and so he decides to enter into a pact. He tells his crew to put wax in their ears so they can't hear the siren song, and he tells them to bind him to the mast of the ship, and he says, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, don't let me go. And it works. He sails his ship and crew right past the island of the sirens, and he doesn't get distracted by something he doesn't want to do. Mm. So these pacts can be very effective in our work life. So we can use these tools and tactics to help technology prevent technology distraction. So there are all of these free tools that are wonderful that we can use in our day-to-day life. For example, when I write, I use a tool called self-control on my Mac. It's free. That blocks out any website that I put in. So I don't want access to Gmail or Wikipedia or Google when I'm doing my concentrated writing time because I know I will, I'm will. i tempted to use those things as forms of distraction action. Uh, I use an app on my phone called Forest. And every time I use this app, you open it up, you dial in how much time you want to do focused work for, let's say 45 minutes. Mm. And when you push go, a little virtual tree is planted. <laughs> now, if I pick up the phone and do anything with it, the little virtual tree dies. And I don't want to be a virtual tree murderer, right? (laughs) So that little bit of a commitment, that pack, that promise to myself is enough to remind me, oh, that's not what I want to be doing right now, let me get back to work. Uh, There's another company I I invested in actually, because I I like the product so much, called Focusmate. And Focusmate will connect you to another person somewhere in the world uh, to do focused work together. So all of these are tech solutions to tech problems. Mm. Uh, And I think that's brilliant, right? That we can (laughs) enter into these packs, these pre-commitments, most of these tools are 100% free, we just need to use them.
0: Hmm. Well, Nir, I've loved this conversation. I I know our time is coming to a close. I have a couple of questions I want to ask you that aren't directly related to the book, but before I do that, anything else from the book you want to make sure we walk away with?
1: Yeah, I think that the big takeaway here. Is that this narrative that we've heard so much recently that technology is hijacking our brains, that it's addictive, that there's nothing we can do is ridiculous. And in fact, it's it's self-defeating that there is so much we can do. Of course, you know, I'll I'll give an asterisk here that some people are pathologically addicted, just as some people are pathologically addicted to all sorts of things. Mm. Right. People become alcoholics, even though most of us who drink aren't. Not everyone who has sex is a sex addict. Uh, Not everyone who gambles has is a problem gambler. So some people are addicted to technology but way more people think they're addicted to technology (laughs) when they're absolutely not. Addiction is a pathology. And so we need to free ourselves from this self-limiting belief and know that we are way more powerful than we think.
0: Uh, The one complaint I get about... Uh, having started this podcast, is the amount of money that listeners spend on books. We want them to go out and grab yours, of course, but we'd also like to know uh, the books that have impacted you, near over the years, your career. Maybe share with us what two or three of those titles might be, and if you can, um, how or why they uh, impacted you as, as they did.
1: Sure, sure. So I'll give you a few. So uh, there's a body of research called self-determination theory, which is the most widely studied and accepted theory of human motivation, uh, and it's the work of, of Desi Deci and Ryan. Uh, it was popularized in a book by Dan Pink called Drive, and mm-hmm. I think he did a fantastic job. So I, I, I that was a uh, the first time I would encountered self-determination theory, and it's influenced my work since then. Uh, so that's a book I really enjoyed. If you're curious about addiction and what and and the the, the myths that so many of us hold around what addiction is and is not. Uh, There's a great book that's fairly recent called Lost Connections by Johan Hari. Mm. Uh, He did a beautiful job. And then for work of fiction, a a book I really enjoyed was Moby Dick. Uh, I think it's a great representation of how addiction and distraction and obsession is certainly not something that started with technology, that we can escape discomfort through distraction in all kinds of of different ways. And I think the story of of Captain Ahab definitely demonstrates that.
0: Mm. Mm, for sure. Well, you are a successful speaker. You've done a TED Talk, of course, many other uh, events and venues. What are some tips you might have and pass along for delivering a talk near that's uh, memorable and, and going to leave an impact?
1: Yeah. So <laughs> let, me, let me give some, some very tactical advice, mm-hmm. I think, because it, it frustrates me to no end when I see people making this mistake. You know, Oftentimes, I will see speakers who are fantastic on stage mm-hmm. and terrible on their slides. So if you are going to spend the time, the hours that it takes to present, to uh, to prepare a presentation – please do yourself a favor hire a graphic designer to make your slides look as professional as your talk. Mm. (laughs) It's worth the investment. Don't make one of these slides that's full of tiny little words, you know, (laughs) hundreds of words on every slide. Please get, get a professional graphic designer to help you out. And then two, and this is, this is advice I wish I didn't have to give, but if anybody has a better way to do it, let me know. You know, I get often asked this question of, of, you know, how do you, how do you prepare for a talk? How do you do this? And it's grueling practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I prepare every talk. You know, some people, I've seen some speakers who can just speak extemporaneously and just, you know, give a beautiful presentation off the top of their head. I've never been able to do that. I, I practice each talk until it's memorized down to the word. And that's the kind of talk I appreciate, frankly. I, I mm-hmm. like it when people are very prepared and really know their stuff. And so it's, it comes down to practicing again and again and again and again. And, and I'm the very same way. And I think the the more
0: time you spend on the front end doing that, uh, the more polished of course you come across but the less rehearsed and practiced it sounds it just it can come off sounding natural and conversational i think when you've put that time and effort in
1: That's a great point. That's that's absolutely true. And, you know, you enjoy it more, too, because when you're not worried about delivering your lines, you can have this kind of macro perspective and and the words just come out of you because you practice them so many times and you can concentrate on the on looking the audience in the eye and seeing, oh, there's that guy in the front row who's on his phone. I wonder if I can entertain him enough to get him off his phone. And, you know, I'm going to make that woman laugh. And you, you kind of have this 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 big picture perspective that makes it a lot more fun as well.
0: Well, I know the book has just come out, uh, so it may be too early to ask this, uh, but I'll ask anyway, just in case, uh, anything ahead for you and your team that you're currently working on and can share
1: that you're uh, excited about? So, for the next few months, I'm going to be uh, preaching this gospel of (laughs) of helping people become indistractable, and then I'm going to take some time off in January. (laughs) That's my plans in the immediate future.
0: (laughs) Well, don't forget nearandfar.com. That's N-I-R and fear.com. Uh, com. <laughs> His name is Nir AL, author of Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Uh, delight to have you on, Nir. Thank you so much for, for coming on and giving of your time so freely.
1: My pleasure, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You may have noticed there were several resources near mentioned that uh, you may want to check out. I'll include those in the show notes for this episode. You can find those at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 284 for episode 284. I'll also be sure and link to that podcast I recommended you check out, The 5 a.m. Miracle by Jeff Sanders. Be sure to consider cloud accounting software solution FreshBooks for your business. You can find out more at freshbooks.com slash read to lead. And be sure and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. That helps us out a lot. For comments, questions, or suggestions, you can email me directly, Jeff at read to lead podcast.com. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Next time, I'll be chatting with JetBlue Chairman Joel Peterson as we dig into the newly expanded edition of his book, The Ten Laws of Trust, Building the Bonds That Make a Business Great. That's next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead.